Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Every, every Sunday, my house transforms from a, just a plain old house, simple house, a house of God, to, the, to a house of God where the Word is being preached in a, in a community-type way, in a, in a corporate way. So praise God. I'm so glad you're here. I, I hope you're, you're here to hear the actual Word of God today and not just, you know, come and, you know, be entertained and, you know, have fun. And because, yes, we can enjoy each other's company and enjoy the Lord's presence at church, but we're not here to just be entertained and to laugh. And, you know, we're here to learn the Word of God. And I hope that's why you're here, to learn the Word of God, to be built up in the Word of God, to, to be strengthened in the Word of God, to learn how to follow the Lord more or to come to follow the Lord for the first time or to come back to follow the Lord. I hope that's why you're here. If this is your first time here, I'm Pastor Ed. And I come to you from Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches here in McKinney, Texas. And this is our weekly broadcast of truth from God's Word. So I always start with a word of prayer. So if you guys would join me, please, in a word of prayer. Join me, please, in a word of prayer. Because the Lord, the Word says, God's Word says that we can't understand the words of God, the Holy Spirit of God, unless the Holy Spirit of God helps us. So Lord, we, uh, we thank you, Lord God, and we, we love you and we praise you. Lord God, for all your goodness and for all your grace and for all your mercy. And Lord, we, uh, we thank you for bringing us here. We thank you, Lord God, for teaching us, Lord God, as you are such a teacher, Lord, and how you teach us, Lord, through your word and through gifted pastors and evangelists all over the world. Lord God, we thank you for all your goodness and your grace in doing that, Lord. We do ask that here today, Lord, your word would be spoken in power and, and that that word would be spoken in power and, and just be a life-changing power, Lord God, a life-changing, in a a life-changing way. God, please, we love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord God. May we not be hearers of your word only today. May we be hearers and then doers of your word. God, we thank you and we ask all these things and pray all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. Amen. So if you guys want to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 13, we're going to be in verses 4 through 12. And the title of our sermon today is God's timing. I'll give you a moment to open up your Bibles. Again, that's Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 12. I'm going to just jump right in as soon as we're all ready, as soon as we're all turned in our Bibles. If we're ready, I'll begin. Acts chapter 13. If you want to read with me, you can. If not, you can listen along however you'd like. The Bible says this. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Verse 6. Now when they had gone through the island of Pepos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bargesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intellectual man or an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. 
Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So last week we read the disciples with the offices of prophet slash teacher were serving Jesus Christ in the church in Antioch, right? While they were fasting and, and serving the Lord in the authority of these offices. And as they did, God Almighty saw their devotion to his son, Jesus Christ, and the greatest tour of duty of evangelism ever granted to any Christians ever was granted to Paul or Saul at the time and Paul. Paul gets or Saul gets a new name today as we read. His name goes from Saul to Paul, which he becomes the, the great Christian evangelist Paul throughout the whole New Testament. They were called or slash sent by the Holy Spirit of God to evangelize, as I talked about last week, the heaviest populated areas of Asia and Asia Minor. I mean, that no, and I'll say it again this week, nobody has to this date, uh, with the limited resources that Saul or Paul had, evangelized as much of the world as he did. He didn't have the internet. He didn't have a cell phone. He didn't have, he had his two feet and the desire that God put in his heart to go and preach the gospel. Anyway, as they did, uh, as they were called and sent out, and they go and evangelize, and, and what a great and awesome and amazing calling of God. We should hope as Christians today that God would even impart just even a small percentage of what he gave Saul or Paul today, because we have all so many resources today. We have the internet, we have cell phones, we have planes and trains and automobiles, and still yet none of us seems to reach out like Paul or Saul did back in the day. What a shame. This week we open up in Acts 4.4 with the continuation of this journey. So read with me again Acts 4.4 for their beginning of their journey. So the Bible says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, notice that being sent out by the Holy Spirit, that's important. They were sent down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. We see biblically, and we know this kind of like, I, I just kind of, this sense as I've preached myself for a long time, that there are some sent, and, and there are some that just go, right? And, and I'll add this, we can really tell which ones are which, we really, you, you really can tell from scripture, you really can tell from it, my life as I've seen it, uh, from what I've noticed biblically and in my own ministry life, uh, those that are sent by the Holy Spirit, they stick with it. They stick with it because, you know what, when you're sent out by the Holy Spirit, you have like a supernatural birth for that calling and that sending. And it's like you just can't give it up. God just sends you and then you just... That it's birthed within you, but yet those that go, <laughs> here's the problem with those that go. And here's how you can really tell somebody that's sent by the Holy Spirit versus somebody that just goes. Somebody that just goes, they usually go, and they usually go and they kind of try it out. They kind of see the zeal of the one that's sent, and they, they kind of go and they try it out. But when, and that's a key, when, and the capital W-H-E-N, when things don't go like they think that they should go, <laughs> like they're like they're uh, they had high, they had hopes for. Oh, this ministry is going to be all like this. When those expectations for that ministry experience fail them, which they always will, because ministry is not fun. Ministry is a calling. Ministry is not fun. When they get failed in their own desires for their own expectations, they quit. 
and they go home. And I've seen it many times in my own life and ministry that God's had me in. We see it in the Bible. We'll run into one of those people in our scripture in a little bit, and God willing, he'll remind me to talk about it, because it won't be today. It'll be down the road, and we'll talk about it, but we run into one in scripture. Anyway, though, back to scripture. Anyway, Paul and Barnabas are sent out by God's Holy Spirit, and he directs them to go, as scripture says, down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed, that'd be in a ship, to Cyprus. So so down geographically, picture in your mind, this was down, uh, or south to Seleucia from Antioch. They're in, they were in Antioch, which is a city in Syria. And they went down geographically or south down to another city in Syria called Seleucia. Uh, Same modern day Syria today, FYI. Then the Bible says that the Holy Spirit sends them across the Mediterranean, which was just like a little strait in the Mediterranean, but it was still part of the Mediterranean Sea, to an island right off of the coast there called Cyprus. And so the Cyprus is still so named today. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear about uh, a journey that takes me not only on my walking or through my car, but then we got a sail and a ship to go across to another whole island, I think this is pretty serious ministry. I don't know about you. So now the Holy Spirit does just have them stop in Cyprus just anywhere, and this will be a big point later. He directs them to go uh, to Cyprus once they are there, to the, to the city of Cyprus. He directs them to go to a specific city, verse 5, and when they arrived in Salamis, when this, if you, in case you're wondering, this was a coastal city on the island of Cyprus, right? It was a, a, just on the coast, probably where their ship may be docked. They, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John as their assistant. You see, God is very specific. He sends us where he sends us. It's not just random. Well, just go on out there and, you know, go anywhere. No. God's word and God, very specific. He has a specific place that he wants his ministers to go or those that are working for him to go. Uh, Now notice, they're finally at the destination that God Almighty wants them to preach Jesus Christ. But also notice that he sent them all the way to a specific city in Cyprus and that they traveled both land and sea without. This is important. God showed me this. I had never seen this before. Scripture does not record that they shared Jesus Christ along the way. They went, they got, they went from Antioch to this city and then across the sea and then they went to uh, Salamis and there they preached the gospel in the synagogues. What about all those people along the way? What about all those that they traveled on the ship with? It's weird, to, uh, but God has done the same thing with me and the teams that I've gone through throughout the years. Uh, the reason I believe that God didn't have them preach to anybody, because had they have, I believe Luke would have recorded it. And, and they preached all the way till they got to Salamis and the city of, in the island of, of, of Cyprus. I, I do believe that the scripture would have recorded that, but, the, but it doesn't. Uh, but, but I do believe the reason that God didn't. The reason that they didn't would all be because, of course, you know, the title of our sermon, God's Timing, right? Speaking of God's timing and ministry uh, for him, we find these subcategories. Why did the disciples, go, the apostles go from uh, Antioch all the way to Cyprus and, and, and Salamis, but don't preach to anybody God's timing? You see, number one, God has certain people to evangelize certain people. That's just the way it works. Uh, Certain personalities match up with certain personalities, and you just cannot get past the personality factor. God works through people. And when you have a certain type of personality, a personality type A or a type B or a type C or whatever they name them now, and then you have a, if they're going to try to witness to a person that has a 
personality that's just completely on the other end of the spectrum, it's just not going to work because they're just not their their little their little kind of getting together. If they're if they're that different. And, and, and these characteristics of this one minister are going to really bother the characteristics of this other guy and, and in his mind, and it's not going to be a successful witness. Well, God's not going to just send somebody to somebody that it's not going to work with the personalities-wise. God's timing. Uh, number two, not everyone is ready to hear about Jesus Christ. That's just the simple fact. Not everybody's ready. Uh, timing, God's timing. God knows those who are ready. God knows those that are kind of like they've been waiting for a word or they've been kind of seeking the Lord or they're not seeking the Lord at all. You know, he's just not going to send people to people that are not ready. God's timing. The minister, which I believe is one of our cases here, the minister is not ready to minister to certain people. We see here that Paul and Barnabas, they were Jews. And of course, we don't know how many Jewish synagogues they passed along the way, but maybe there weren't any. Maybe Paul and Barnabas weren't ready to preach to Gentiles just yet. Maybe they were still, God still said, just go to the Jews. But here, certain ministers aren't ready to minister to certain people. And in God's timing, he knows if you're ready to minister to somebody or if you're not. And so that's why I think one of the reasons what, that God didn't have him preach to anybody was maybe there were no synagogues along the way. Uh, and, and the last one, God may want you to be in a certain place at a certain time because he knows that someone will be there that will be receptive to his message. And you being there at that certain time doesn't suffer you to preach to those that you pass by to get to that specific time and place and spot that God is sending you to for a specific person and for a specific purpose, which I believe is our other reason that we have here in Scripture. I believe that there were people that God wanted Paul and Barnabas and also John Mark to go to, but they had they got delayed up with people that they were passing by and got into long conversations or got stuck at the dock for a day preaching to, to Jesus Christ, I believe that they wouldn't have been specifically where God wanted them at the specific time that he wanted them there. Anyway, uh, these that have been the ones that I've experienced in my years of ministry experience, plus what I've seen in Scripture, and, and, and since God doesn't change... And since that's what we see in Scripture, God's not going to change. So that's just some of the reasons why I believe that God sent these preachers throughout all these areas without them being preached to while they passed by. Although I'm sure their hearts were crying out for these lost people, maybe they prayed for them, which is something that God kind of throws me just now as we're traveling to our spots. Maybe we ought to be as we're fellowshipping. Maybe we ought to be praying for those that we're passing by. Because just because God doesn't have us to minister in certain places doesn't mean that he can't call other ministers to these other areas to witness to these other people also. Anyway, are, are there more? I'm sure. But at any rate, no matter how they would differ in subcategories, the root of them all would be God's timing. That's just the way it is. Nobody knows how to do God's work but God. And we're only human beings. And he knows the right way and the right time to do everything. And of course, if we're on his time, then he knows the right way. And it's we got to do it on his time and not ours. Uh, anyway, moving on, but we're going to come back to this idea of God's timing later. Uh, so these ministers go to Salamis to preach Jesus Christ. But notice that God sends them to the Jews only. We just talked about that just a little bit, how the disciples were Jewish also. But, but notice, Jews to Jews, that's no big deal. But notice here also, maybe you never thought about this, because I had never really kind of thought about this until this sermon, but notice where he sends them. He sends them right into the synagogues. 
right into the midst of those places where the Jews worshipped. Wow. I mean, if you think about it, that's kind of bold. To put it in perspective, I want you to think about this. Could you think about us as Christians today going into the Mormon temple, going into a Mormon tabernacle and preaching Jesus? How about a mosque? Walking right into a mosque. Right, and walking right up to an imam. Hey, hey, let me talk to you about Jesus Christ. Right in their place of meeting. Right in their place of worship. How about a Jehovah's Witness uh, 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 building or temple? Hmm, interesting. Now, when you think about that, that kind of puts it in perspective for you. That, that's really bold, right? I mean, if God led me, I'd do it. I'd never been led to do it, but if God led me, I'd go. But just think about that, putting it in perspective. Think about walking right into another place of worship of another person that worshiped and think about doing that. It, it's just like, wow. And the, thinking about it, the idea goes, whoa, I can't, I can't imagine. Better yet, we've actually had it here at Gospel Saving Church. Better yet, could, could you imagine, uh, imagine a, a Muslim or a Jew or a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness coming right into a Christian church? And witnessing, or trying to witness and trying to spread their doctrine, trying to spread their truth, or what they think is truth. Could you imagine that? Ooh, just just think about that. How does that make you feel, Christian? That, that's it. Kind of like puts you against the wall. Like they they come in here, and what? I mean, they could come on in, and like they have here, and I and I'll I'll, I'll be the same person I am everywhere. I I, I don't have, I have a tendency not to change. I am I am who God made me to be, no matter wherever I go. I don't care, and I love Jesus, and I'll and I'll break it down anywhere. But just the idea of them coming in here to 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 spread their what they believe to us, it's it just like whoa, my mind goes wow, that's. That's really bold. I, you know, and, and the thing is, I, I'm sure that they, they've done it. I've heard about them doing it. Some, some of them have done it in here, but it's still just, just bold. It's still just awesome. And it's just, it's just, it's just, it's so taboo. We would just like not do that. That's just like, like something people just don't do. They don't just go to another place of worship and then spread their, their truths. But yet, that's what Paul and Barnabas and John Mark did here. They were Christians. They believed in Jesus Christ, and they walked right into the synagogues and preached the gospel and preached Jesus Christ right to Jews who did not believe in Jesus Christ. Now, now Christian, just, just an aside here. Before you get the idea in mind to do this, please keep in mind I've almost never heard of this practice with God's messengers past about three-quarters of the way through Acts and then throughout the rest of the entire Bible. We never read about this practice ever ever again. Uh, why did they do it in the first three quarters and not the end? Just, just, just to not thus say it the Lord here, but just, just thinking, just doing some reasonable, you know, logical thinking. Remember, uh, this is what Jesus Christ himself did throughout all the entire part of his ministry. And Paul starts out his missionary journey to the Jews as Jesus Christ was primarily to the Jews. But then God let, uh, leads Paul and his, his companions to the Gentiles, right? Because the Jews get hardened hearts and they just don't want to listen. And Paul kind of throws up his hands and says, you know what? I'm done. I'm going to the, all these other people. And maybe, and we know from Romans, maybe they're going to get, you know, maybe the Jews will get jealous because God's sending me to these other people. Maybe the Jews will get jealous and then come on back. And although Paul goes into synagogues, once the Holy Spirit sends him to the Gentiles, <laughs> this is an important note. This is this is important. Other than the Areopagus, 
We never read one time in the New Testament, not one time, Paul ever actually going into the temple of Zeus to preach Jesus Christ inside the temple. Never, never read it one time. We never read about Paul ever going into uh, Hermes or, or Diana. What did he do? He went around them. He went to the fascia of them, to their places of meeting around the outside of their temples and outside of the places where they worship, but he never went or his companions never actually stepped inside of their places of worship. That, that's something to keep in mind. And, and when we read Saul going into the synagogues, going back to the Jews now, even doing it here from Acts 13 up until about Acts 19, roughly, and, and not past, it, it seems somehow, like if you ever read the New Testament and ever read the book Acts, it seems like acceptable. It's like, it totally is like, how can this be? He's a Christian. He's going into a Jewish synagogue, but it seems acceptable. It seems like they're like not. There's no schisms there. They're not like oh, you're a Christian and you're in the Jewish synagogue. Oh, you know, it just seems like kind of like normal. So you may be thinking, why? I did some thinking. Why then did they do this early and only in synagogues when it, when it seemingly being normal, but never going into the Gentiles or their place to worship? Well, my my guess, and I think it's a pretty solid one. Think about it. Saul, Christ, Barnabas, Paul, you know, all of those, and his travel companions early on were all Jews, right? And think about it. They were comfortable in the synagogues. Uh, in fact, that's where they grew up. This, this is where, they were, this is where they, were, they were born. They went to synagogue. This is what they did. And, and Saul, being a Pharisee, he, was all, he would have also been accepted in the synagogues. They would have thought nothing of Paul walking into a synagogue because he was Jew and he was, a, and he was a Pharisee, right? And, and so kind of like today, and I have heard of this, a Mormon, a, a Catholic, a Jehovah Witness, a, a Muslim, they get saved. And then they go back to their own people in their own ex places of worship. But now they're Christians. They've been converted. I've heard of this. This is actually very common. Somebody that's a Catholic getting saved and going, I want to reach, I want to, I want to love my fellow, you know, my ex-Catholic people. And then they'll actually go into the places where they, again, they grew up there. People know them there. They were well accepted there. And then they go back in because they want to win their families and their friends and their loved ones to Christ. Now, they're usually excommunicated and they're usually kicked out shortly later, but they do do this. And, and, and you know, again, I've heard of this quite common. Uh, is this something that Christians should do to any and all other places of religious meeting without having that uh, prior affiliation? Like, should uh, me, I've never been a Mormon, but should I walk into a Mormon temple and should I just start preaching Jesus Christ to the Mormons? Well, the Bible doesn't say that I shouldn't do it. And the Bible doesn't even condemn us if we do do it. But that is never the way, as I said earlier, that the Holy Spirit's ever led me. It's never actually the way I've ever heard of any minister ever ministering for Jesus, ministering for Jesus Christ. I've, I've never ever heard of a, just a normal, not affiliation now, mind you. Not, 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 not a converted Catholic going back into a, a Catholic church. I'm talking about me as a, as a non, you know, I've never been a Muslim. I, I have never heard about a non-ever Muslim walking into a, 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 a Muslim place, a mosque, and, and, and preaching Jesus Christ. So, so again, Christian, I'm not saying that if you, you had no prior affiliation that you shouldn't do this, but I just ask that you pr please pray and be led. Be, be led, please. Don't, don't just do this, just say, oh, it's just something everybody does. It's not something everybody does, but just make sure it's 100% God really telling you to do this because it's just, I don't know, it just just be led. That's all I can tell you. I'm not telling you not to do it, just, just be led. In my experience, God usually sends his kids, the ones he saves, 
For instance, a Catholic gets saved, and who are they the best witnesses to? Other Catholics. Mormons get saved, who are they the best witnesses to? Other Mormons. Jehovah Witnesses get saved, you get the picture. Atheists, Muslims, they go to who they're best suited to. Not that we can't preach to other people, but I'm just saying, those people get saved, they know the most about what they used to do, they go back in, they try to win their fellows that used to be that way or that are still that way to try to win them to Christ. Just just FYI. I'm not again don't I'm not saying don't do it, but just be led. Getting back. So Saul and Barnabas go into their very natural ex places of worship, the synagogues, and they do their work and they preach Jesus Christ faithfully. But just one more strange thing to point out before we move on, because they move on in verse six, so are we. One strange point to to, to point out we don't know exactly why, and this one scripture doesn't tell us. I have a, a little theory, but one thing we also don't see, we don't see about any fruit. We don't hear of any miracles. We don't hear of any persecution. We don't hear of them being cast out. We don't hear nothing. It says they went and preached the gospel in the synagogues, and then they move on. Why? All throughout the rest of the New Testament, I mean, practically every other book of little Blip and Acts that we read. We read of something happening when they go into where they go into. You know, we read of some kind of persecution or some kind of, well, some miracle got done or, well, some praise report or somebody got saved. or But here, nothing. Nothing. Could it be because of God's timing? I think it's because of God's timing. But not sure 100% why there weren't any results. But I'd wager, wager that again. It has to do with some type of God's timing. Maybe they were just there to plant some seeds. Because not every time I go out on the streets do I have huge results. You know, it's God's timing, right? Moving on, look at verses 6 and 7. Now, when they had gone through the island to Papos, uh, now this is, if you're, if you're thinking about it, Salamis was on the northeast top right corner of uh, the island of Cyprus, Papos would be on the very lower, so they had to travel all the way across the island on a great diagonal, because Papos was on the very left corner, south, kind of west corner of the island of Cyprus. They found a sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus, or we'll call him son of a man named Jesus, or uh, in other words, translated uh, Yeshua, because there were no J's in the Hebrew language, J, uh, the J came in with a transliteration. Anyway, that gets a little messy, but it's, it's just a neat little study. It's called transliteration. But anyway, his name was also translated Elimus, or the sorcerer. Verse 8 tells us that. And why, why, would, it, why would he be called uh, Bar-Jesus, or why was Jesus so popular? Well, remember the name Yeshua would also be Joshua. And remember in the Hebrew language how popular Joshua was. I mean, little man, oh, who was that guy named Joshua? Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. The most famous second, like third person in all the Bible, right? Moses' minister. Anyway, verse 7. And this Bar-Jesus, or this Joshua, Bar-Joshua, who was with the proconsul, so he was, think of it as they were kind of like friends, he, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. So they were kind of like homies. They were kind of like friends. They were kind of like buddies, right? Well, this man, still verse 7, Sergius Paulus, who was a man who, think of a, what, what is a proconsul? A man who acted on behalf of a council member of the city. Uh, usually a member of the proconsul was an ex-council member themselves. And so this man, he hears about, G, he hears about Paul and Barnabas, and he called 
for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. I see God's timing here, don't you? I see God's timing here as to why, you know, he didn't have any, nothing else happened in those synagogues or we don't read about anything. Obviously, God Almighty wanted his messengers to meet up with these two men in this new city. Uh, I call this today, I call this a divine appointment. That's what I call this here because maybe, just maybe, just think about this, had Saul and his companions been wrapped up with preaching to others along the way or maybe they stayed a couple few extra days back in the synagogue in Salamis because they needed to explain some things. Maybe they would have missed talking to these two. Maybe they would have been on a vacation or maybe they would have been out of town or you know, maybe they would have been doing this and the other thing. And maybe, just maybe, they wouldn't have been there for Saul and Barnabas to preach to them. God's timing is so important in ministry. Uh, let's look at these two verses now. So, th- so this man of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, finds out of Saul and Barnabas, and, they hear, and he hears of their message. Uh, I think he probably heard of their message from uh, Elamus or Bar-Jesus, or whatever you want to call him, the false prophet. Let's probably call him the false prophet from this point on, because he's got several names here in the scriptures. Just pick one, whatever you want. There's three or four anyway. So this man, Sergius Paulus, finds out about Saul and Barnabas' message of Jesus Christ in the gospel, and he wants to hear or, or take some interest. He was responding to the call of God. Did you know that God is calling everybody? That's what the Bible says. But sadly, just because everyone's being called, not everyone answers the call. It's really the shame. And really, we see that in this section of Scripture. Um, as I said, my guess is to how Sergius Paulus, the man of the proconsul, heard of Saul's message, is that God led Saul and Barnabas to this false prophet um, because that's what we read about in Scripture, right? That he came, uh, Paul and Barnabas came upon him first. And, and so he runs back to Sergius Paulus, probably, again, a friend, probably talking bad about their message, for, for Scripture does call him a false prophet. However... Instead of how he probably spoke bad since he was a false prophet, however, Sergius Paulus hears of Saul's and Barnabas' message of Christ, and instead of listening to this false prophet, his dislike or hatred or protest of it, he was interested, in the false, and, and probably to the false prophet's disdain, I'm sure, he calls for them and wants to hear about Jesus Christ personally from them. Why would a false prophet or sorcerer, why would he dislike or hate the gospel and hearing about Jesus Christ? Well, it's pretty obvious because the truth of Christ, for he is the truth, uh, exposes the evil and darkness of a false prophet. And of course, the false prophet, well, he's called a false prophet for a reason. That means he's been given false prophecies. And of course, Jesus Christ being the truth, the way, the truth, and the light, of course, light and darkness, do they get along? When you turn on the light, where does the dark go? It, what? Flees. So here, we see here he doesn't like it. Darkness flees from light. Read verse 8. Let's see how it goes. But Elimus, or the false prophet, the sorcerer, for his name is so translated, withstood them. See? There's that darkness. There's that darkness against light. Withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith, which means that... uh, Sergius Paulus was actually kind of turning toward Christ. He heard the preaching and he was like, wow, that... That's interesting, you know, even though he was an intellectual man, which is kind of shocking. Paul says there's not very many people that are intellectual that actually receive the faith, but Sergius Paulus is one of those that did. Anyway, so Elimus is obviously there while Paul and Barnabas present Jesus Christ and the gospel to Sergius, and and Sergius is interested and starts to believe and and turn his heart toward the Lord Jesus. But but since they're the sorcerer, false prophet Elimus hated it, he stood or stood up against Saul and Barnabas and sought to dissuade his friend from the choice 
that he was about to make. It's so sad to read what we do here because we see this. We see that they both got the gospel. They both heard about Jesus Christ. And, and if no time before, if you want to, if you want to, you know, take out my, my uh, God's assumption there that Paul and Barnabas had preached to the, to the false prophet earlier. I don't know. How, I mean, you can if you really want. But if you, if you really want to take that out, they did both hear the gospel because Paul and Barnabas here were Sergius Paulus and the false prophet were standing right here both together. And then as Paul and Barnabas gave the message then. So either way, whether you want to take it that he took, heard it before or that he hears it now, either way, they both hear the message of Jesus Christ. They both are here. They both, they're both hearing it with their own ears, but only one of them makes a move to accept it. Matthew twenty-two fourteen, Jesus says, Many are called, but few are chosen. Uh, oh, rebellious and wicked mankind is what we see in the false prophet. He, he loved his ways. He loved his darkness more than Jesus Christ the light, and the truth. So, so Elimus, he rejects the message of repentance unto life in Jesus Christ, and he tries to stop Sergius from, from going that way and look at the sad result. Look at verses 9 through 11. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, sporting that new name now, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked at him intently and said, verse 10, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness. Ow. You know what? He was just telling the truth. People look at that and go, oh, he was so mean. No, he was just telling the truth. It's what he was. Uh, he says this, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? Verse, verse 11. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. So Saul, as I said, now sporting the new name Paul, uh, which we will go on to have for the rest of his entire life, calls him a son of the devil, a man full of deceit. Why? Well, did you know at birth we're all sons and daughters of the devil? At birth we're all considered by God enemies of the cross, enemies of God until we repent unto Christ and he saves us. And then and only then, FYI, are we children of God, spiritual children of the light and God's friends, in case you didn't know that. And next, Paul tells Limus that a horrible, terrible disaster is coming upon him, which happened right when Paul finished telling him. He gets a nasty dark mist that basically blinds him. He has to go around and try to ask people to lead him because he don't know where he's going. He's completely in the dark, right? So, so strong was this mist, as I said here, Luke tells us that he went around having to seek someone even to lead him. That sounds scary. That sounds like something I wish that God would start doing again today. Can I get an amen? <laughs> anyway, now now notice though, uh, before we get too much on that, because even though I, I, I wish that God would, notice there uh, that one little, one little phrase, one little phrase there in, in verse 12, the scripture told us that this man's punishment, false prophet, trying to turn the wicked man, or trying to turn the man away from Jesus Christ, notice that it was only for a time. This wasn't a permanent thing. What, what do I see there? I see God's grace. I see God's total grace. Praise God for his loving kindness and his grace towards mankind. Amen? Because although the false prophet deserved it, 
God only made the mist come on him for a time, which meant that God, this was just a warning to him. Don't do that again. Don't do that again. Also notice there that this punishment from God only, uh, only came upon him, not because he himself rejected Jesus Christ, but the punishment didn't actually come upon him until he actually tried someone to stop someone else from coming to Jesus Christ. Uh, God just gave people a huge message here, if anybody would just read it. He, he says to the rejecter of the faith, if you want to reject me and my son, Jesus Christ, I'm really sad about that. I really don't like that. I love you. The Bible says God desires none to perish and all to come to repentance. So it grieves God's heart. God's saying you grieve my heart. But okay, you know what? I give you your own free will. And I, and I won't force you to believe. But, but young, young fella, person, whoever you may be, don't stop or try to cause someone who does want to come to my son, Jesus Christ, or someone that's thinking about coming to Jesus Christ, and, not, and don't cause them to try to stumble in trying to come to me. Leave them alone. You, if you want to reject, leave your self-rejection to yourself, their fella. Or, or lady, whatever you want. Okay, you break my heart if you reject, but don't try to stop somebody else from coming in. That's a huge key. That's a huge key. Look at the outcome of this powerful display of, of the working of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So he turns. He turns and he surrenders his life to Christ and he gets saved. Praise be to the Lord. Uh, and as I've said earlier of late, it's kind of a sad saying, as I said of myself, one man's trash is another man's treasure. And that's what we see here in the scripture. Maybe I could have even titled it that. Nevertheless, God's timing, I think, was apropos, according to what we've been reading. To Elimus, Jesus Christ was trash. He loved his darkness greater than he loved Jesus Christ. In fact, his love for his darkness made him have a hatred for Jesus Christ. But, but to Sergius Paulus, Jesus Christ was the true treasure that he really is. Uh, the one that you have to go out into the field and you have to dig and you have to show God you really care about. He was the true treasure that he really is. And because of that, Sergius is blessed to turn to Christ and get saved while Elimus continued in his curse along with a terrible plague that was thrown upon him for trying to subvert God's draw on the receptive heart of another Neat little section of scripture. I just loved all the little things that God pointed out to me and his timing and, and the, the, you know, only for the time that it came on uh, Elimus and, and the fact that, you know, there was no work done here, but there was all the work done there. And I really think it was just a neat little way to look at all of this. And, and just some thoughts here, Christians. God has his timing for the way he wants to do things in your life. He absolutely does. And he also has his timing for the ways in which he wants you to work through you to reach out to others. My, my question, big question here, are you in sync with that timing or, or do you at least have an open heart to his timing on the things in your life and the way he wants to work through you? Or are you on your own time? Are you kind of doing your own thing? Or are you on God's time? There's a way to tell. God has his timing. We're either on it and have an open heart to it, or we're in rebellion and we're fighting against it. Unfortunately, I think uh, for every one of God's messengers and all those that God has called and we've accepted, I've, we've all been through times, I know I myself have, where I've kind of been on my own time. 
you know, or, oh, Lord, I want to kind of, you know, I, I know you want that, but, Lord, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, I'm too busy right now. Lord, I uh, hate to say that, but it's coming out of my mouth. And I, I'm, I'm, I've been guilty. I've been guilty. That's not been the majority of my Christian life and with the Lord, but I'm just saying I've had times. The Bible says admit your sin to one another together, and that's sin. We all ought to be on God's timing. Uh, so I encourage you, submit to letting God work through you in whatever way he wants to. Not your time. It's his time. And, and please don't fight against it. And child of God, submit to him. If you believe that God has called you to a specific place to live, work, or maybe a specific work for him, then just trust in and wait upon the Lord for he truly has, for if he truly has called you to that place or that work or that specific work for him, the, the things will happen and just make sure that if it's his time and he's speaking to you on something, then you just, you just do it. Don't, don't resist. Don't resist. I, I've resisted before and it's not a fun time. It's not a happy time. It's, 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 it's kind of like gravel in your mouth time. But nevertheless, I've done it, so just don't be there. Just be open to whatever he's calling you to do. And, and please be led and be flexible as God wants you to do his work. That, that's one of the things I've seen about doing work for God in his kingdom. You have to be flexible. There's no such thing as rigid work for the Lord. It, it's kind of be flexible. Life is life, and life is going to change, and things are going to happen in life. But us... We need to be flexible because God works in our time. And as things change, so does God say, okay, that changed, boom, do it this way. Oh, that stayed the same, do it this way. Don't do one thing one way and that's the only way you do things. Be flexible. Oh, but, but last week, Lord, I went here, here, and there. No, Lord says, no, 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 this week go there, there, and here. I mean, whatever, just be flexible. Whatever God tells you to do. Being a child of God involves us in walking in humility and obedience following the master in whatever way he wants us to, and being willing to do the things that he calls us to do. That's the bigger thing, walking in that willingness. It's called humility. And, and without humility, without us being humble, we, we, we just can't walk with God in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a correct way. We, we just can't. Our walks with God must begin... They must continue and they must end with us being humble in our wills toward the Lord. Whatever you want, Lord, let your will be done, Lord, not my own, in surrender to Jesus Christ. And in continuing in these ways of humility and surrender, and that will naturally put you on God's timing. Now, I said earlier, there's a way to know if we're on God's time. Are you being humble? Are you in humility? And are you surrendered? To Jesus Christ. Are you surrendered to what his word says? Doing his word, are you surrendered to that? Are you submitting to that? Or are you pulling back? And right now I'm going to rely on the Holy Spirit to talk to all those that are out there. Are you relying on the Holy Spirit? Are you listening to the Holy Spirit? Or are you, you know, rejecting as I have at times in my past? And you know, <laughs> you know, I'm speaking to you right now. It, it you know, I'm just, I'm just telling you, I, I can't know your heart. God knows your heart. And if you're listening to this message, God's telling you right now, my son, my daughter, you know, I've been wanting you to do this, this or that, or I've been wanting you to wear this type of thing or, you know, go here, go, but you know, you just, you just aren't. So, so just please listen to the Holy Spirit right now, because he's going to tell you if you're, if you're honest timing or not, are, are you truly humble before him? Are you walking in humility? 
And are you walking in submittance? And are you, are you, are you walking in surrender? And God's going to reveal that to you right now. I believe he is. And Christians, this is where we must stay because I want to say this. There's no timing like God's timing. There's just not. There's our time. <laughs> there's a way that seems right to a man, and that way leads to destruction. But there's God's way and God's timing, and there's no timing like God's timing. That's for us that are believers now. That's for us that are walking with the Lord now. If you're listening to this message, but you find that you're someone like Elimus, the false prophet, the sorcerer, the rejecter of the good news of Jesus Christ, or, or maybe you're just someone who's firm-minded and willing to open and listen and, and to seek out Jesus Christ and God Almighty like Sergius Paulus was, no, no matter what type of person you are and you're listening to this message, I want you to know that God has had or will have his timing on when. Again, capital W, capital H, capital E, capital N, on when he will reach out to you. It'll either be by his Holy Spirit or it'll be by one of his messengers, but he will reach out to you and he will reveal himself to you at some time or another or multiple times as I've talked to and I've seen in the ways that I've ministered and the ways God's led me to minister. And, and don't worry, God will do it, just like he did to our two figures in Scripture today. Because, as I said again, Jesus said, if I, am lifted up, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. All means all, all of the time, 100%. God's drawing and calling all men to himself. Just depends on when, or how many times, or how many chances you'll get. But he's going to call you. And he's going to draw you. You can be a guarantee to that. My only question to you is this. Since you know that basic information, what will you do when he comes knocking at the door of your heart? What will you do? Now, I just had a fellow out here yesterday who laid some carpet for me. He did some work for me in my house. And the Lord gave me a divine opportunity. It was one of his times that God said, I'm going to call you and I'm going to draw you. And I took him through a very powerful section of scripture, Matthew chapter 7. And we had talked earlier when he was doing the work and I was kind of helping him a little bit and talking to him and trying to witness to him a little bit. And, and as we sat there and talked and he, he kept emphatically telling me, I, well, I believe in the Lord. Well, well, I believe in the Lord. Well, well, what about church? Well, uh, what about the Bible? Well, uh, well, what about prayer? Well, uh, now bearing no fruits of truth, no fruits of biblical Christianity, yet saying, I believe in the Lord, that takes me instantly to Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus says, many in that day, who, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, in that day, and I will say to them, I never knew you. Well, only those that believe in the Lord are going to call him Lord. So I said, but look what happens to him. He said, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. I said, so you say you believe in the Lord. I said, but God wants more than just a belief. I said, really? Because innately, everybody believes in God. Amen. Even those that say they don't believe in God, they, innately they believe in God. Because we all do. The Bible says so. Amen. So since everybody does, you believing in the Lord is no better. That's, that is not what God wants for you. He wants more than just a belief. He wants, boom, Jesus says only those that do the will of the Father shall enter the kingdom of heaven. And... Please, God, have mercy on his soul. 
Because as I talked to him, and as I read him the section of scripture, and as I ministered to him, and as I showed him all these things where he got his, he got at least one time, I don't know if there's been more, but he's got one time where God's been calling him or drawing him. He, he just had such a look of apathy on his face. Just had a, such a look of, well, okay. Just, so God's calling you. God will call you sometime. God's going to call you maybe multiple times in your life. He's going to send somebody to you. He's going to come to you, but his Holy Spirit may be speaking to you right now in this message. But he's going to come. He's going to call you. He's going to draw you. What will you do when that happens? What will be your response when God knocks on the door of your heart? Now, as I kind of alluded to just a moment ago, in case you didn't realize, but big green neon sign here, flashing letters, about 20 foot tall, if you're listening and you're one of those people, this is your sign. This is, this is a time when God's saying, hello, here I am. Here I am. What are you going to do with me? What, what are you going to do? This is one of those times when God is calling you and drawing you through my mouth, through the Holy Spirit, who's also been ministering to you as long as you've been listening to this message. This is God's time for you. Okay. Same as he did, we went out in the streets as a church on, on, on Wednesday night, and we had many awesome, interesting conversations, and we had several. We had a man, our very first man that we opened up the night with. Maybe you'll be like this man. We were walking by him, and he, or he walked by us, and I said, hey, would you have a minute to talk about Jesus Christ? And he said, he said uh, no, no, I don't. And as he kept walking, I said, well, God loves you, and he wants to save you. And he says, well, I'm already saved. And I said, well, how do you know you're saved, sir? How do you know that you're really saved? He, he abruptly stopped. He f- powerfully, with anger, walked back to me, got in my face, right in my face, and said, if you were really a Christian, then you'd just leave me alone, and you're pushing yourself on me, and, you, and you're being this, and you're being that. Leave me alone. Was that, is, that, is that responding to, to God's call on your life in a loving, humble, submissive way? Heavens, no. This man is in rebellion to God. This man was running from Christ. This man was running from the light. So you could act like him. Maybe you could be like another man. His name, we'll call him Xavier, who, who was walking a, jo- walking a couple dogs. And, and a brother of mine had walked up to him, or we walked up to him first of all, and we said, hey, man, would you like to talk about Jesus Christ just a few minutes? No, man, no, 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 thank you. I don't, I don't have time. So then a little while later, we, we walked along, we still saw him, and, and another brother said, well, I need to talk to him, maybe that's a job, I need, I, you know, I need a job, so he talked to him, and the, my brother who was out in the streets actually talked to him for about, about 10 minutes, talking to him about a job, and he had that 10 minutes to talk about that job. Oh, he had that 10 minutes, absolutely. But then as God divined it, because God's call in this life, on this man's life was obviously very strong. Very strong, obviously. We, we went around the block, and, and we didn't have any. We left him, and we, we went on our way and looked for the next person to try to talk to about Jesus Christ. And, and, uh, and lo and behold, around the block, well, there's Xavier again walking his two dogs. And we walked up, and I said, hey, man. And he, he was more cordial this time. Oh, hey, how's it going? I did I see you already kind of in a joking way. I said, uh, I said well, you doing all right? He said, yeah. And as he was just about to walk away, I had just commented to a brother I was ministering with. I said, you know, I said, it's pretty funny because God had just showed it to me. It's pretty funny how about a half hour ago, whenever it was, I said, we just asked this man if he'd spend a few minutes, five minutes talking to us about Jesus Christ. And he said, no. 
But I said, then the other brother went up to him and he talked to him for uh, at least 10, maybe even 15, 10 to 15 minutes about a job. I said, it's pretty funny that he had the 10 to 15 minutes to talk about the job. I said, but he didn't have just five minutes to talk about Jesus Christ. I said, what's that show you? And the other brother's like, well, yeah, that that's, that's pretty much shows me he don't want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. So I said, sir, Xavier, I said, if you don't mind me asking you just one question, I said, I'll be a respecter of your time. I, I know you're working. I, I looked at him in the face and I said, God, God just showed me something. I said, it's kind of alarming. I said, back there, I said, last time we met, I said, when I asked you that you, you had, if you had five minutes to talk about Jesus or a few minutes to talk about Jesus Christ, you, you walked away. He said, no. I said, but then another brother of mine, he walked up, he needed a job and he was looking at your dog walking job and he said, he said, you know, can I ask you about your job? And you spent 10, I don't know, 15 minutes talking to him about that job. I said, I said, sir, I said, if you don't mind me saying, I said, I'm going to say this in love. I said, but it seems to me that not having time for Jesus Christ doesn't really show me that Jesus Christ is very important to you. The look on his face, you would have thought I hit him upside the head with a metal mallet. The Holy Spirit just absolutely gave him a powerhouse right cross right to the chin. He was humbled in a moment. He realized that God was right and he was wrong. Now, I only spent just a minute there, there. I told him I'd be a respecter of his time, so I was. And so I just told him, I said, listen, the Bible says in order to be saved, in order to be a friend of God, your life has to be surrendered to God. Your life has to be submitted to Jesus Christ. I said, he has to be your Lord. I said, but yet you showing me here, what you showed me, what you show God, is you didn't have a few minutes to talk about Jesus Christ. I said, but you have, I said, Jesus Christ cannot be your Lord, sir. And he put his head down. And he realized that what I said was right. And so I said, you know, here's what I want you to do. If, if you care about your eternal life, go home and get in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and start seeking the Lord and asking God what I said here tonight. God, what does it mean to be your friend? And, and, and I shook his hand and I said, I'll be praying for you. And, and we, we parted ways. Oh, you could be like him. You could be like him today, knowing about Jesus Christ. You could be like him. He turned to it. No, I don't have time to talk about Jesus Christ. But yet he's got 10 minutes, 15 minutes to talk about a job. You could, you, could, you could treat Jesus like that, or you could be like our, one of our last people tonight, or the last person, a man named James, who was talking to an Hispanic fellow man when we walked up to him. And, and he made the, made the comment that he, he, he was seeking the Lord early on when we first talked to him. But then as it really came on in the conversation, we really figured out, he, he said, I, I'm not I, don't, I don't really seek anything too hard. I don't really seek anything too hard. Well, but Jesus said, I, I'm like, I'm like a, a great treasure that's buried in a field. And, and, and the one who seeks it, the one who goes out there and searches for it and digs, well, dig, have you ever tried to dig? Digging's hard, especially in this clay soil we have here in Texas, but I don't know wherever you are, digging's hard. It takes effort, more effort than just a quick glance across the ground. And, but he wasn't willing to seek the Lord in, a, in, a, in any kind of way that cost him, put him out. So you, you could be like him, you could hear and you could be maybe seeking a little bit, but that's not really going to get you anywhere with the Lord. So, so here's the deal. Jesus Christ loves you with an everlasting love. One that burns so bright and strong in him for you that he can't even hardly contain it. Here's what he did. He gave up everything, including his dignity, his life, and his even his soul on the cross. Being brutally beaten whipped, cut open by those whips, treated with horrible contempt, and then sent to hell for three days, all to pay for the sins of humanity. That's how much he loves you.
And, and the same sins that prevent or block us from being a friend to God, he paid for those on the cross with all those things we just said. Because as I said earlier, the Bible says that we're born as enemies of God. And yet, even though he sees us as the God-hating sinners we're born as, again, he gave up his life, his dignity, and his soul for us on the cross to save us from those sins, then tells us in his word that he doesn't want any of us to perish, none of us to go to hell, and all of us to come to submit to a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. You, me, everyone on the whole planet, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve one bit of it. We don't deserve what Jesus Christ did for us. We don't deserve what Jesus Christ does for us now. We don't deserve it. But he did it anyway. But as great and wonderful a news as that is, my famous saying God gave me some years back, wisdom applied, wisdom not applied is foolishness. And this means having the knowledge of who he is and what he's done for you does you no good unless you respond, unless you repent, and unless you turn to Jesus Christ now in surrender, and, and you become like me, and you become like Sergius Paulus, and you become like those in this world whom have surrendered, not like Xavier, not like James, not like the other man that we talked about in the very beginning of our evening there, not like them, but unless we respond Unless we repent, unless we turn to Jesus Christ, knowledge of what he did for us and who he is won't matter to us at all. God is reaching out for you right now. God is speaking to you through my mouth right now. God's Holy Spirit's been reaching out to you for maybe a long time, maybe multiple times. Maybe this is the hundredth time that you've heard the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't know. But today, if you're not like Sergius Paulus, if you're not like those whom have sold everything and lost everything to follow Christ, if you're not one like me, who's given all everything to follow Christ, will you stop fighting? He wants you to stop fighting. He wants you to admit, admit, you know he's real innately, admit it with your mouth. Jesus Christ, your Lord. Admit it. Admit it. And stop your rebellion and do what Jesus said in Matthew 16. This is, this, is what, this, is, this is what he wants. You to admit that he's real. Ask for forgiveness of your sins because you're a sinner. And then he says this. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That, that means that God's waiting for you to take you and you, and you, and you, and you, off the throne of your life, because that's how we're born, as the master of our own lives, and he wants you to put him on the throne. It's called you bending the knee. Fall on your face. God, I need you. Take my life. I don't want to live without you anymore. It's called surrender. It's called submitting. It's called waving the white flag of surrender. Because, see, every one of us, we're like a fortress. Every person's heart is like a fortress. But there's only the door, the doorknobs only on the inside of our one door that goes in and out of our fortress. And, and in order for us to turn to Christ and surrender, we have to surrender, like submit, like yield. We have to open the door from the inside, open it, wave our white flag and say, come, come on in, Jesus. Take, take this fortress. I want it to be yours now. 
I'm taking myself off the throne of my life. I want you to be the one. Then he says, let him take up his cross and follow me. That These are things you do after you come to Christ, after you surrender. And I'm not going to go through what those things mean because if you're like this false prophet, if you're like Xavier, if you're like uh, uh, the guy that we met in the beginning of our walk that night, if you're like James at the end, then you need to start with the white flag of surrender. The other things you do for Christ, those will all come later. But then he goes on in 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. If you, if you want to be the Lord of your life, well, then go on and lose, go on and be it. But Jesus just said you're going to lose your eternal life. But whoever loses his life for my sake, whoever gives it up, Jesus, it's your way, not mine. He said, for my sake, we'll find it. He's calling out to you. He's waiting. He's been long waiting. The Bible says he's long suffering towards you. Been waiting a long time for you to come to him. Please turn now. Fall on your face and cry out to the Lord and ask him to forgive you and surrender your life to him and submit your life to him. He's waiting for you. Please, there couldn't be a more better time than to do it right now. 2.5 people every single second in this world die. Just now, that was 2.5 seconds. I hope you lived. If you get to live another 2.5 seconds, will you turn? Because you don't know when you're going to die. But it's, we don't, this life is so fleeting and so passing. Eternal life is eternal life, and you'll spend it somewhere. You'll either spend it in heaven, or with a God who loves you, who gave up everything to save you, or you'll spend it in hell because of your rebellion, because of your running away, because of your hatred of God, not because he hates you, because you hate him. Turn now, please. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your love. Thank you so much, God, for your grace. <laughs> Father God, your grace. Lord God, I can't tell you how many times you reached out to me, Lord God, before I, my knucklehead finally, I shut up my brain and I listened. Lord God, I just, I just pray, Lord God, right now for any out there right now, Lord God, that are not yours that are like the people that I mentioned today, and like this false prophet in Scripture who heard the same message as Sergius Paulus, who, who did turn, Lord, but he hardened his heart and he moved on like Pharaoh. God, I got I pray for those listening to this message right now, Lord God, who, who are not yours. And Lord, your word, you're convicting them right now. Lord, I know your Holy Spirit is, because, Lord, your Holy Spirit works through people and works through this message, Lord. So I just pray right now, Lord God, that you would help them to see that they are not on the right path with you kind of like the fellow who did my carpeting yesterday. Show them that they're not on the right path with you, Lord God. And Lord, I pray you take all the peace that they have in this world from them. Lord God, I pray you wouldn't give them one inch or one ounce of peace in this world, Lord, until they meet the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those of us that are your children that heard this message too, Lord God, we know the ones of us that are submitting to your will. Lord, and we know the ones of us, Lord, that are rebelling against your will, Lord. And I knew it. <laughs> I knew it back in, back at that, those couple times, a few times that I've done it through my 18 years of walk with you, Lord. And they know it now too. Lord, I pray that they would submit and surrender to your timing, Lord. And when you tell them to do something, Lord, I pray that they do it. It's just as simple as that. Just do whatever the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Just do whatever God tells you to do. That's just, that's it. Please, Lord God, break their hearts until they do that as well too. 
And we thank you, Lord God. We thank you for your words and how your Holy Spirit speaks to us, Lord. And we thank you for your great grace. (laughs) We ask all these things and we pray all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.